You're listening to The Devoted Podcast, where our desire is to be women devoted to the Word of God. We're so glad you're here, and we pray you'll be challenged and encouraged as we look to God's Word together. Hey gals, today I'm just giving a little bit of a disclaimer. You're going to hear two little intros, I guess, with this podcast. But today we're talking about kind of a tough topic. So I just wanted to pop on real quick. If you've got kiddos in the car or if you're blaring this podcast throughout the house, this might be a good one to grab your AirPods for when you're going for a walk or something. We're talking about a little bit of a difficult topic on abuse. And that might not be something that you want all your little ears around the house to be hearing. So Hey, gals. Well, today I'm going to be joined by Pastor Gabe Carter. He's been on a couple times. I kind of joke with him that anytime there's a tough thing, I bring Gabe on. So, Gabe, thanks for coming on. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah. He's saying thank you now. But, you know. <laughs> so today I've asked Gabe to come on and talk with us on kind of a tough topic. Well, there's no kind of about it. It's actually really hard, but it's something that's there. It's out there. It's in the church. It's in the world. And so that topic actually is abuse. And so this is something that affects women, and this is a women's podcast. So to not be talking about some of these things could kind of be a miss on our part because the Lord cares about all of these things. And so I've just asked Gabe, Gabe, you do a ton of pastoral counseling and all kinds of things too on this. So I appreciate your perspective, both biblically and experientially from just people that you've counseled and all of that kind of stuff. So why don't you kick us off here? Yeah, the broad topic topic of abuse. Yeah, thanks for having me on for the fun ones. I know, I know. I'm sorry about that. (laughs) And then also having a guy talk to the women about abuse. Hey, well... Yeah, I know. I yeah. Know. Well, you know, in the church, it could be easy for us to try to bury our heads in the sand, and we mm-hmm. shouldn't do that. Um, right. We need to approach it properly, you know, from a biblical perspective on what abuse is and how to care for people. We do deal with this. You know, we have a fairly large church, and we do a lot of counseling, both the pastoral care team and the women's counseling and discipleship team that's headed up there by Judy Slaughter. They do a ton, a ton of counseling across the board. I'd say the vast majority is marriage related issues, but we do come across from time to time some more extreme abusive situations. And, you know, really simply abuse is just sort of misusing something. Simply, you could say it's the misuse of something or someone. Oftentimes what we're talking about culturally, when we're speaking of abuse, we're speaking of sort of a pattern, someone that's being abused in a systematic pattern, like over and over again, whether it's by a spouse or a loved one. And it could be an instance, it can really be in the the case of sexual abuse, And there's other types of abuse, so to speak. But the Bible doesn't give you the, here's the definitions. Here are the five definitions of abuse. You know, part of our response as a church is to look at, hey, what's the culture doing? And what does the Bible have to say? And how do we really care for people who are abused? And as we were talking about, the church does need to respond. We can't just pretend like everything's okay and put a smile on our faces, but we do need to care for people. And so when people do reach out, we have situations in the past and even recently that there's a very abusive situation, you know, particularly it's coming from a husband. Most times, Amy, you might share some stats later, but most of the time it's husbands or boyfriends, men abusing women in domestic violence situations. And we have had those situations. And in that situation, we do ask the women, hey, we want you to separate. Like we don't want you to be in that place where he's abusing you and we can help you do that. And then to get help and to get on your feet, help you out financially along the way, as well as a lot of problems. It's very 
messy. I wish there was like, here are the five steps and it's really simple. It's really messy. It's a slow process. It's something that's done by the team, particularly. It's not just by one person on our team that that takes care of all that. We come back to the pastoral care team. We talk to the women's discipleship and counseling team, and we work in conjunction on how best to care for both the wife who's being abused and to get them separated, and then how to care for the guy if he's up for it, Mm -hmm. (laughs) honestly. So I love what you're saying, Gabe, talking about how we as a church want to come around and care for the people that are abused. As you said, statistically, it's a lot of women it's affected. Depending on the stats, and as you said, people can define abuse very broadly. It could be everything from something very mild to something very extreme. But depending on the statistics, they would say one in every three women have experienced some level of actual physical abuse. Mm-hmm. That's a startling number. Yeah. So, of course, it's there, and there's a lot of it, apparently. So before we maybe just, or maybe even where to start, is let's frame it with how does the Lord view this? How does he view abuse? Yes, because I do think sometimes gals, because maybe it's not talked about or whatever, or they went through something difficult, and so they think, well, the Lord allowed this. Let's talk about, like, really what the Lord, how the Lord views his kids and when things happen like this. Yeah. Well, if we look at the marriage dynamic, you know, the Lord tells a husband to love his wife there in Ephesians chapter five, as Christ loved the church, giving himself up for her. So that's what the husband is called to. And that's what the Lord expects of a husband. The expectation is to love your wife. And then first Peter three says that you're to dwell with her, live with her in an understanding way, showing honor to her as the weaker vessel. Like you are now, not only do you love her sacrificially, you are to know her in such a way that now you are growing in that knowledge and then honoring her, the way you care for her. And then Colossians chapter three says, hey, husbands, don't be harsh to your wives. Like it tells you specifically, husbands, here's how you are to act. And if the Bible is telling you not to be harsh, how much more is he saying don't abuse? Right, <laughs> so, right. Like in harshness isn't even defined necessarily. I always tell the guys like your wife is the definition of harshness. If she says, hey, the way you look at me is mean, you need to change the way you look at your wife. You just do. And that might be different from one gal to the next. And so the Lord hates abuse. He really does. You look at the way Proverbs talks about often, I think we were discussing earlier how those that are rich taking advantage of the poor, it's still sort of this abusive behavior. The Lord hates that. Proverbs 22 says, do not rob the poor because he is poor, nor oppress the afflicted at the gate. You know, the Lord will plead their cause and plunder the soul of those who plunder them. The Lord sees the things that happen in secret. And Hebrews reminds us that, that everything is open and naked to whom we have to give an account. The Lord sees it all. By no measure, by no means does the Lord allowing us to go through pain and difficulty and abuse in our life mean that the Lord is for it. In fact, the reality is that there's going to come an account. The Lord is going to call each one of us to account. Now, if you know, a husband doesn't repent, if he's not walking with the Lord and he's abusing his wife, he's going to give an account for that. In fact, the psalmist declares that it's the fool that thinks that the Lord isn't going to call them to account. It's having a really worldly mindset in the sense that you're not looking beyond the grave or to the next life, like eternity. What we do now really does affect eternity. It does. Now for the Christian, there is, you know, and now we're kind of moving into a little bit different category here. There's the Bema Seed judgment. We don't have to get into all that now, but how we do what we do is important. And so we shouldn't just assume that we're going to get away. The real justice, so to speak, there will be, no one's really going to outrun the justice of the Lord. That always has to stick in the back of our minds. Romans 12 reminds us that vengeance is mine, says the Lord. He's the one that's going to repay in all of this. So the Lord is by no means for abuse, not at all. 
In fact, really marriage is meant to be a picture of Jesus Christ and the church, the bride of Christ and that relationship. What did he do for his church? Well, he condescended is that, you know, the biblical term or the historical term. He came down as Philippians 2. He took on the form of humanity and then he served. He didn't come to be served, but he came to serve. And that's the model that's given for any type of leadership or quote unquote authority given. I think we use that word not necessarily properly, but so when we abuse, when we misuse our what's been given to us, the Lord's not happy about it. Not at all. It's sin. And that's what it is. And he died for that sin. I suppose maybe that sounds like silly to go, well, how does the Lord view abuse? Because that should seem obvious. But I also think there's gals that have experienced abuse that can feel either very isolated or can feel just so hurt that maybe those scriptures of, I will never leave you or forsake you, they can kind of forget those. And as strange as that question may seem, I think sometimes we do need that reminder of how much the Lord hates sin. The Lord, as you pointed out with those scriptures, particularly pertaining to marriage and how a husband is to treat his wife, they are very specific ways in which we're told to treat each other and the way their marriage relationship is supposed to work. And if he went to those pains to be able to express like in detail, don't be harsh, certainly when we get to the level of physical abuse like this, this is serious. And the Lord deals with it very seriously. Yeah. In reality, the most serious act that was ever done in the way that he deals with sin is the cross. So we have to look at what was paid, what Christ came to do. He came to die on the cross for our sin. And so that's, he died for all that sin. That doesn't mean he permits it. I think at times we can unfortunately view sin and view God as if he's permitting sin. Like, oh, I'm just, you know, people be people, let them do their thing. No, he forgives sin. And forgiveness doesn't mean permission. I think we've got to differentiate that. You know, I did it with my kids. When one of them, you know, has an outburst and does something or hits another one. Yes, pastor's kids do act out, as probably most of you know, but (laughs) I do have them go through. Like, I don't say, hey, just so, oh, it's okay. You know, a few of them just go, it's fine. It's okay. No, I want them to actually recognize, I'm sorry that I hit you. I'm sorry that I said that. Like, I want them to recognize what they did, how it hurt the other person. And then I also want the other person to say, I forgive you and move on to recognize, because that's forgiveness. Now, the Lord does that with us. He wants us to confess our sins. Why? We're the ones hanging on to it like luggage that, you know, that's just like, why do we carry this? He wants us to lay the luggage down, to put it down, to pick up the weight and take it from us. The act of forgiveness, him dying on the cross has already occurred, yet he still wants us to lay down our sin and confess. And so when it comes to dealing with sin, the Lord's not permissive, he forgives. And so we've got to differentiate between the two of of what forgiveness is and what being permissive is, is no, I, I recognize what you did to me was bad but I forgive you for it. And the other person also does need to go through the, yeah, this is what I did wrong. Mm-hmm. In the cases of domestic violence and abuse, those are not that simple because usually the person that is abusing is kind of doing what Adam did in the garden and said, hey, Lord, the woman you gave me in placing blame and shifting, that's our natural response is to naturally shove aside the things that stick to us, the sin. We want to push it on someone else. But real repentance begins with truly admitting what you've done and moving from that. But for the one that's abused, the one that's being abused, the work of forgiveness. Now, the challenge with this is some of you might be listening and thinking, okay, I need to forgive right away. And usually the gals are really sensitive and love the Lord and just, they want to be so forgiving. And that that's true. Forgiveness doesn't mean that all of a sudden you're completely reconciled and that, you know, if you're in an abusive marriage and your husband is physically abusing you and you are forgiving him, it doesn't mean move right back in to the abuse. Mm-hmm. That's not what's being said here at all. I want to clarify 
clarify that because that could be misconstrued in that way. There does need to be some real work along the way for an abusive spouse before we would even recommend saying, hey, move back in. To really see real repentance is tough, you know, but this is where we look at the fruit. We have to look at the actions and activities of someone. We can judge them by their fruit. And so this is, you know, time really, and there's no real timetable on this you know, fruit kind of grows in its season. So you have to wait for fruit to grow. And, you know, if this, again, we're kind of getting a methodology. Like if we had a situation like this where there's somebody, we would have them separate and it would be, we need to see repent, you know, as John the Baptist said, you know, to the Pharisees, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Like we would need to see fruit and evidence in their life before we would even recommend them getting back together in extreme abusive situation. You know, really when we look at, you know, how we deal with these in our church, you know, First Thessalonians chapter five, verse 14 says, and we urge you brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. And so when it comes from a counseling perspective, a biblical counseling perspective from the pastors and from our women's discipleship and counseling team, this is what we're doing. We're trying to admonish the idle or really to rebuke or to exhort the guy that's abusing, but to encourage the faint-hearted. To do both of those things is a challenge, but that's the perspective that we've taken. Thessalonians 5.14. But from there, we're really looking at there's a husband and a wife. Husband is called to love his wife as Christ loved the church. Wife is called to submit or to respect your husband as under the Lord. That's really the model of marriage that we promote and one that we esteem highly when it comes to a marriage relationship. But abuse can be, as you kind of opened up the topic of abuse, it's not just in a marriage dynamic. It can yeah. be other dynamics, other family members. Mm-hmm. It can be within the church. You know, you hear often of church hurt these days. It can be those that are even in the workplace. And I hesitate to go here, but I think we should. You know, the culture talks a lot about the oppressor and oppressed, and we kind of look at the idea of the misuses of authority and things like that. And the reason it sticks, I think, is because there's some truth to it. And really, when you look at leadership in scripture, it's often always speaking of responsibility. And that's how it should be viewed is when you're given the responsibility, like there's a greater weight of responsibility and decision-making and what's given. And that that means that it can hurt more people and deeper. In a marriage, when a husband and wife are married, you know, our viewpoint, we're a complementarian church because that's what we see in scripture. Really, I would say, this might sound harsh, we're a biblical church. We hold to what the Mm -hmm. Bible holds in values. And a husband is called the head of his wife there in 1 Corinthians. And, you know, as I joke often when I'm doing premaritals, you know, a head's not popped off, a head's connected to the body. Mm -hmm. And it's to care for the whole body and to be in tune with the whole body. And so the responsibilities, and I do think this is the women's podcast. I do think this is honestly what men are missing is the recognition of responsibility. I think it was Jay Vernon McGee that used to say a heavy load would help a young man walk straighter. Mm. Um, And I think there's truth to that, like the responsibility placed on them. And it should be as a father myself, when I look at my kids, you know, if I trust them in little and they do well, I'm going to entrust them with more. There should be more responsibility given as I've seen them act out in responsibility. In our culture, things are just kind of willy nilly, it seems like given. And unfortunately, we're seeing lots of abuse in situations, but there can be, you know, what is really abuse? Well, what you were just saying about, because I think it's worth camping out on a little bit on the authority and the responsibility really that people have and kind of how we've confused some of those terms. And we've decided culturally speaking, not biblically speaking, but we've decided culturally that if someone has authority, they are thereby by that definition, even oppressive. The world has kind of taken that on to mean that. And so because of that, I think they have conflated even sometimes what even abuse looks like, which is sad because you have people that have struggled with legitimate, really horrible 
abuse situations. And then someone over here who feels like they have been oppressed because they are just interpreting that more loosely, they're calling it also abuse. And that's, I don't think, a fair representation of that, too. So I don't know. I just think that we have overused that statement or rather that phrase of the oppressor and Sure. As women, we deal with this all the time of people just because the world has decided by category, by gender, we are oppressed because we're a woman. (laughs) Okay, that is not biblical. That's not true. But it's repeated often. Mm -hmm. And so I think it also makes the conversation we're having about abuse a little bit more difficult because people are confusing what those two things mean. Yeah, the potential to be oppressed doesn't mean that you are oppressed. Exactly. And I think that we can, yeah. in any situation, we can assume, I guess the world can assume that because you have a potential of oppression, the only way to do that is to balance the powers or something to that extent. And really, I think when it comes down to what should a Christian do, maybe I'm too simplistic on things at times that I admit that. Like I, I, try, like I try to be simple, just do what's right in the sight of the Lord. Like when it comes down to what should I do in this situation, we often are looking at what others are doing to get feedback. Well, if they're doing that, maybe I should do that. And we shouldn't really base our decisions that way. Yes, there's wisdom in a multitude of counselors. It's true. But Scripture is the best of all counselors. Jesus is called in Isaiah 53 that he is wonderful counselor. Like he really is the counselor. When we do counseling at Athey Creek, the pastors, the women's discipleship and counseling team, we don't view ourselves as quote unquote counselors. We see Jesus as truly the counselor and we're just sharing the word. And so whatever situation you're in, what should you do that's right in the sight of the Lord? And that would be done in studying the word. What does the word say I should do? And then also in prayer and seeking the Lord. And so, you know, in any situation in life, that really is going to lead us what we should be doing. Not right in our own sight, as we see in the book of Judges, as you see over and over again. If you want to talk about abuse, read the last few chapters of Judges and you read some pretty brutal stories. I don't want to get into that on this podcast because it's already depressing enough. And the end of Judges is pretty brutal, but you're seeing what people are doing, what's right in their own sight. And we can say the same thing in our culture today. It's the same thing. People are doing what's right in their own sight, as opposed to what is right in the sight of the Lord really important distinction that you're making there. What is right in the eyes of the Lord? Because I do think too that often women, if they're in a rough patch in their marriage or whatever, they're often more likely to turn to their friend or their sister or somebody else. And lots of times gals have all sorts of tips for you. And maybe they're even planting thoughts in your minds of things that are going on in your marriage that maybe you're not even going on in your marriage. And again, if it's not even a marriage relationship, but sometimes we Gals can look for drama, too. So I want us to be careful about the advice we give and where we get our advice, because what you're saying is we should really be seeking the Lord about what's going on in that first and foremost. Guys, you're probably like, yeah, is that really an issue? (laughs) Oh, it's an issue. You know, gals love to give lots and lots of advice. We, We always talk about how, you know, if you're struggling with something, have you talked to your friends about it more than you've talked to the Lord about it? I mean, I'm maybe that's common for everybody, but... Ladies, we like to chat and we like to talk about all the things that are not going right. While if you're someone that does see something going on that is really dangerous or something that is not good in someone's life, you do need to speak up and do that. But you, if you're the person, you need to be seeking the Lord first too. So That's right. It's so important. If we miss that, I mean, there's things that people will say that make you feel good, but that's not really what we should be seeking is just our own pleasure, but we should be seeking what's right inside of the Lord. And with that, the byproduct is joy. Like when you do what the Lord has asked you to do, and there's really joy that's found in that. Now it could be difficult for a while. It could be difficult seasons. And what I'm not saying, I have to qualify this, is we would never send a woman into an abusive situation and say, stay there. Just And the Lord's telling you to stay there in the abusive situation. I don't see that in scripture anywhere, but reading the word, spending time in prayer, 
prayer, asking for godly counsel. And even if that means receiving a word back, it might be a little wounding because, you know, um, as Proverbs says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the enemy mm-hmm. multiplies kisses. You want to be not just, you know, as the culture would like to say, you just want to be affirmed what you're in. Now, the reason these things in culture send to, like, they tend to tickle our ears a little bit is because there is some truth in these things. Like, sure. there really is. Satan, you know, as the Bible says, he's the father of lies. And his lies are not so blatant that we just go, well, you know, I don't believe that. There's enough there that it sticks to you because we should, quote unquote, affirm in a sense, like our kid, we should be encouraging is what we would use in uh, biblical terms. We should encourage one another, but we shouldn't be falsely doing that. If we go around and are just affirming for the sake of affirming, there's no meaning to it. It's totally ridiculous. Instead, we should be saying what's true, but we should also do it in love. There's a way to do that. It's a challenge. It's very difficult, but that's what we're called to do as Christians. And I believe we can do it because the spirit of God dwells within us. He's given us his word to instruct us and he's given us one another to help sharpen each other. So we should act as the church in that way. So let's maybe switch gears just a little bit because as heavy as this topic is, the Lord is so much bigger than anything we could ever possibly go through. The Lord is mighty to save in every single one of those situations. And I do want gals that hear this that have either maybe been in abuse in their past or maybe they're currently going through, well, maybe we should separate those two. So maybe just for a second before we get into just talking about some of the scriptures of what the Lord says for the person that has been hurt and wounded, if you're that gal that's in that abusive situation, you know, how would we counsel that woman? If they were in an abusive situation right, right now? now? Yeah. Well, if you're in an extreme abusive situation where your husband is physically abusing you, I would say you need to, if you're part of our church, Athey Creek, please reach out to us. We would be more than happy to try to walk through that with you in situations where it's like that, You even calling the police to an extent to get some help there. Romans 13 does talk about the government bearing the sword for our good. And so part of that is there does need to be an aspect of that brought in. But I would say if you're in that situation, an extreme abusive situation, you should separate in a sense and actually have a game plan where you're going to go and a place to stay. If you need help with that, reach out to the church. If you're not part of Athey, I'd say reach out to your local church that you're a part of and talk to them and minimally reach out to the church for counsel. In the situation, sometimes it's not always good for an extreme abuse situation for a husband and wife to be counseled together, but we would separate. So I would reach out to your church and then in in some situations, law enforcement if needed. That would be the first step to separate. There are government functions and things and places to get you to stay, but they're becoming, unfortunately, sparser and sparser these days. Mm. They're filling up, which is a sad reality of the culture we live in Mm -hmm. and the, the day we live in. But if you are that gal, I'd say reach out to the church, but also know the Lord sees you. Yeah, He's not far from you. Even as you mentioned earlier in Hebrews chapter 13, the reminder, he says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. So we can boldly say, what can man do to me? Mm -hmm. I shall not fear. The Lord is privy to everything that's going on. He sees it all. He's not far from you. He's with you. You I love, we sing this song every once in a while at our church, Psalm 18. It's a great psalm. He says, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. You know, I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. And if anyone knew anything about abuse, it would be David. He knew both sides of abuse, being (laughs) the person that abuses others and the one that was abused, you know, by Saul there being chased out. But Here he is, you know, hiding in a cave and he's writing this psalm to the Lord. Lord, you are my rock. You are my fortress. You are my refuge in whom I have hope and salvation. So the Lord is there with you 
and he's not abandoning you. In fact, he says it's a promise that he will never abandon you. That's amazing to me. Mm -hmm. Like if you've ever been abandoned, that's something that you can go, he will never do that to you. He's not going to, even if you're the wretched of all sinners, he's not going to just go, well, I'm done. That's not the God we serve. He loved you so much that he gave his life for you. He came down here and lived a perfect life and then gave it up for you, died the death that was meant for us. And then now he lives within us by his spirit. So there's great hope for those that are in abusive situations. Now you might be thinking, well, what's the practice? I need some practical. That is, in my mind, that is very practical. It is actually, yeah. It is very practical to put your trust in the Lord. It's not a blind trust. It's not just this, well, I'm just gonna put my trust in the Lord because it's blind. No, he's proven himself. And this is why we keep coming back to the gospel. We keep coming back to the cross. He has proven himself so very faithful that he gave his life for you. There in, in I think it's in 2 Timothy, Paul tells Timothy that even if we're faithless, he is faithful still. God cannot deny himself. He cannot be unfaithful. That makes sense. He cannot be yeah. unfaithful. He can yeah. only be faithful to you. The trouble is, is what we sometimes assume is faithfulness, and that he's going to stop the issue right now or the problem or fix this right then and there. No, along the way, what we expect and what the Lord tells us are, you know, are going to be a little bit different, but he is good and he always has been and always will be. The people that are, if you're being abused, that are abusing you, they're not good. Yeah. That's it. They're in sin. They're in error. And they're hurting an image bearer of God. And not only that, they themselves are image bearers of God and are misusing what's been given to them. And the Lord is by no means rejoicing. In fact, he's going to deal with all problems. There's a day coming where he's going to judge everything. And that day, if I were you, I'd be on the side of trusting in Jesus and receiving his forgiveness. That is his death on the cross. If you receive that, you won't bear the sin. Now, the difficulty in some of these is like there's professing Christians. They profess, they say they know, and then they go out, they abuse, and they continue to abuse. In those situations, I wouldn't suggest this as a spouse, but if I were counseling, I'd point to some scriptures like in Galatians 5, like there's certain scriptures that these guys continue this pattern of behavior. They're not bearing the fruit that's evident of what they say. And so our hope and our goal in those situations would be to get the guy to believe, to really trust, to change his worldview, so to speak, would be to put his full faith and trust in Jesus Christ in such a way that now his life has changed the way we live. We should understand that what we believe should totally change how we live. If we believe the scriptures are true, we want to live by that. If we believe that Jesus died on the cross, that he rose from the grave, now we want to live in response to that, recognizing we're going to fail and we're going to make mistakes along the way. And God is faithful and just to forgive us if we confess our sins, as 1 John 1, 9 reminds us. But he is good and he is going to redeem. Like I love how, I think it's in Philippians, reminds us that he who began a good work in us he is faithful to complete it until the day of Christ. Like he is working on us. He will continue to work on us until Christ returns. So you do have great hope in the situation that you're in, whatever situation that you're in. But if you are being abused, we would ask, reach out to your church, reach out to Athe if you're part of our church. We want to help in any way that we can. But do know, Lord's not far from you. He's right there with you. Like she told Joshua that he will fight for you. Like he's, Joshua's entering into the land. He's fearful and the Lord will fight for you. He is there with you. In fact, in James chapter four, Speaking of those that are proud, it says here, speaking of God, that he, that God gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And it says in verse seven, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. And then draw near to God and he will draw near to you. In the midst of this is a very hard chapter because it's, <laughs> James is sort of, you know, pulls no punches in this. But when he says that he opposes the proud, the word that's used there speaks of God standing in battle array 
against the proud. And I'd say the, the abuser, the one that's going out of his way to harm others in that regard is proud. He's not recognizing God's real authority. God's the one that has real authority. We don't really have authority, so to speak. Our authority in our entire life boils down to one decision. Really does. Do I trust the Lord or don't I? In everything that you do, do I I love the Lord with all my heart or do I not? And that's really all of our quote unquote sovereignty is like, that's all the decision making that we have in life. And so God opposes the proud, but he gives more grace to the humble. So the one that is abusing, God stands in battle array against that person. But to the one that's humble, the Lord just pours out his grace towards you. And then you draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. He's not far from you in the situation that you're at. Do know the Lord loves you and he loves you so very much so very much that he gave his life for you. He endured abuse on your behalf. He did it for the joy that was set before him. The Lord did that. And so do know that the Lord loves you dearly, cares for you greatly. He gave up his life for you that he would live in and through you. It's so amazing listening just to all the scriptures because that you think about, I mean, there's just so many different ways and different angles that the Lord comes at us really with how much He loves us and the different things that we would go through that, as you said earlier, He knows everything that's going to go on. You know, there's nothing that is hidden from Him. And so it seems like a strange place to come to a podcast dealing with such a topic like this, but you can't miss the fact of just how good and kind that the Lord is to love us that way, that He is not leaving you in your situation to be just to figure it out on your own, but that He fights for you and that He chooses to heal you. Before we came on, I was looking at a couple Psalms actually about that on just how He heals. Because when I think about someone who has dealt with abuse, there is the moment, there's what you're in right now. But for many of you gals listening, maybe it's not the moment that you're in right now, but it's in your past and it's something that you've dealt with. And sometimes I think the world has tried to put some Band-Aids that they say will heal you, but ultimately it's just a Band-Aid. It's putting something that is not very effective on a gaping wound, but it's the Lord that truly heals. And I, a couple passages, Psalm 34, 18, when it talks about that the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Psalm 107, 20, he sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. He also talks about the healing in Psalm 30, verse 2, when he says, I cried to you for help and you have healed me. I wonder for some if they're in that camp where they have been abused, do they feel like they are beyond what can be healed? And perhaps some of that's from really great self-help books or something that gave you some exercises to try and do some different thought patterns and things like that. And there's elements of taking your thoughts captive that scripture talks about and that we definitely need to surrender those things. But yet I do, when I read those Psalms, I think of just how the Lord actually just heals. He just heals. How does that happen? Does that mean there's still a scar there? Well, probably, but it's healed and it's the Lord that does that. To me, that is just such a comfort because no human, no counselor, no one else can offer that. It's only the Lord that does that. Amen. Yeah, it's totally true. We can't lose sight of that. We can get sucked into the desire for justice and miss really that the Lord wants to heal us in the midst of it. And if you read you know, some of the Psalms, just the imprecatory Psalms as they're called, where they seem brutal. Like I think Psalm 109, like David's 
calling down <laughs> curses. Um, <laughs> Judgment I think on even someone, in yeah. that one, he yeah. says, you know, in response to my love, they accuse me. Like he's like loving and they're accusing him. But then the next 20 or so verses are him like, you know, may him be fatherless. And you're like, oh, how is this so brutal? But really it's that Romans 12 where he's, you know, vengeance is mine says he's turning over justice, so to speak, to the Lord. So I think for the healing to recognize, okay, you come to the Lord broken, he will heal. And then you want to give him you're turning over the vengeance, the anger that's brewing to the Lord. Let him deal with that person. That doesn't mean, I got to qualify, it doesn't mean that the church has no responsibility, that we neglect to do anything about the abuser. What I'm talking about is the dealing with that anger and that possible root of bitterness before it gets there in your own heart to give the vengeance over to the Lord, the retribution over to the Lord. He will deal with you. Uh, he will deal with the abuser and he will deal rightly. That's the thing. Every court of man, we should strive to do things right. But every court of man will fail you. It will fail you. Not the court of heaven. It will never fail. The Lord's justice is true and righteous. And when we think about the healing, I'm reminded of the passage in Isaiah that talks about forgetting the things that are past. I sometimes think people think the forget. Now, if you've not it's not like it just goes away. You know, if you've not brought that to the Lord and actually asked him to heal you of that, I think maybe this might be a little premature. You can correct me on that. But forgetting the things that are past and realizing what the Lord can do now that he has healed you. And then, you know, those pictures in Isaiah where it talks about the streams in the desert. Mm -hmm. That's a beautiful image when you think about those that hopefully have come out of the really dark situation that they are in, but the renewal and the hope and the healing that the Lord does even past that. Yeah, that's totally true. It's really a simple faith and trust in the Lord through it all. And it's hard in all of our situations at times because we don't always see what the Lord is doing, but he calls us to trust him based on what he's said in his word. His word is so trustworthy, what he's done in our lives and him giving up. I keep coming back to this because I really do think that the real healing, so to speak, is at the foot of the cross. Mm -hmm. When we recognize that the God of all the universe came down and he gave up his life for us. He died on the cross for us. What are we hanging on to? We can easily lay that down at the foot of the cross and know that this God, this is whom I serve, the one who has all authority, all power in everything, yet he came down, lived as a man, and then died the death that was meant for me. I really do think that's where we're going to find our healing, is when we recognize what Christ has done for us. Well, I think I'm going to leave it at that. Again, interesting how in some ways that, whether you're the one that's been abused, whether maybe you're someone that has harmed someone else, we're all in this camp of sinners, and it's the gospel that is actually the common denominator, mm -hmm. and it's the thing that we all need so desperately. Mm -hmm. Hopefully, many ha have heard this that have never had to experience abuse, because that. but unfortunately, a lot of people do. But the good news is that we all have access to the gospel, every single one of us. And so if you heard nothing out of this podcast, I pray that you hear that, mm -hmm. and that that is something that you bring your own sin to the foot of the cross. For those of you who may find yourself in situations that have been abusive, if you're currently in them or things like that, like Gabe said, please reach out to the church, reach out to your local church if you're not here at Athey. But know ultimately that it is the Lord that is fighting for you and that is with you and will never leave you. Thanks, Gabe, for doing this with Thanks me. Thanks for having me, Amy. Thank you for tuning in to The Devoted Podcast. We are a ministry of Athey Creek Christian Fellowship in West Lynn, Oregon. For more resources, or if you need prayer or encouragement, send us an email at devotedpodcast at apcreek.com.